0: Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. So, you want to get into good health. Hmm, okay. So, y'all know, maybe a little diet, a little exercise. But you know, there's some people that go a long ways when it comes to dieting and exercising. They say, okay, if I'm gonna diet, I'm gonna really diet. And they go hardcore and extreme. And then people say, you know, I need to exercise more. So, they go hardcore and extreme. Don't even hardly take a day off. They just beat their bodies down because they are going to exercise. So the question becomes in all that is uh, how far do you go? How much are you going to put yourself through to be in good health? How far is too far? Question for us today is: how far do you take Christianity? How far do we take it? Is there a point we say? Hmm, that's too much. That's too much cost. I think I'm going to stop right here. Come to the last beatitude here. Again, we're just trying to describe a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Just describing a citizen of his kingdom. I know it's hard to believe a little bit, but what Jesus is describing here is normal, Everyday Christian living. Jesus is not talking about some great martyr or saint or theologian. Jesus is talking about average Joe, citizen of the kingdom. Again, you look at the rewards that are being offered us. These are just rewards we find in the Bible for those who know God, right? This is just talking about what we do as Christians, And the last beatitude, again, is what you get if you follow these beatitudes all the way through. You get persecution at some point. Again, made mention last week about being a peacemaker. (laughs) Doesn't go so well, usually, does it? Jesus, Jesus was the best peacemaker, and he got crucified. So we see where Jesus is taking this very clearly. Question for us today, though, is why bother preaching on this text? Besides it, because it's in the Bible. We are not persecuted. This is pretty foreign to us. So why even bother talking about it? First of all, it makes us much more sensitive to what is going on around the world. For those of you who are here for a Secret Church, we learned what was going on in East Somalia. Very humbling. It's very humbling when you complain when electricity goes off or your, or your water's turned off on you. How can, how can you complain when Christians are being hunted down? In fact, I don't know if you just saw this past week, a week ago. Six Pentecostals were killed. can what country it was. Just outright executed and murdered. So we had to become more sympathetic and get our life a little more in perspective about what is hard What is harsh and what our brothers and sisters are going through around the world. Number two, to make sure that we live in such a way that we could draw persecution. Again, our country has been very unique in the history of nations, very unique. Found on Christian values, principles, virtues. We have just enjoyed the benefits of those for so many years. And we're used to getting those benefits for acting Christianly. Again, some is changing. There are some exceptions to this, but really, by and large, we're not the norm for a nation or a country. Governments typically end up bringing persecution against Christians. This is a good reminder that we'd be faithful to Jesus and not be surprised if something does happen. So the question for us in nice, comfortable United States of America is, do you lead such a life that you could be, could be persecuted? You read through these Beatitudes, do you see yourself in them? Obviously, there's a wrong way of doing that, thinking, of course I'm in there. I'm a child of God. Of course I am. I'm not talking about being arrogant in that. But hopefully you can see yourself in them. You, you need to see yourself in the Beatitudes, okay? Think about it this way. You're in a small town here in North Carolina. You're in high school, and you're a fantastic basketball player. In fact, you're the best one probably ever in that high school in its history. And you're wondering, am I ever going to get noticed by a college? Is anybody ever going to notice me in this little small town That I might be able to get a scholarship and go. Well, the nice thing about today compared to 60 years ago, if you're a good basketball player, you will be found. You cannot be kept a secret very long in the day and age that we live in, right? With cell phones and videos and social media, you will be found if you are really good if somebody really disliked a Jesus follower and wanted to harm them, would they think of you? Would they notice you? We're not a bunch of people who meet on Sundays to talk about Christian stuff, to sing some songs, joke a little bit, have a good time, and go back to real life. What we sing, what we pray, and we hear from the Word of God Our hearts should be pounding saying, yes, I want that. That truth I want in my life. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to do what's right and I want to honor Christ. I want to take what is said and saying on Sunday morning and I want to translate that into my life so God's word is made known through me. I get deathly scared that church becomes very sterile. Like walking into a doctor's office. Whew, you know that smell, don't you? <clears throat> get out of there. Get back in the real world. Sometimes church is, seems to be something that's just kind of sectioned off or par- part- portioned off. Separate aspect of life. It's hard to imagine if we really did follow these Beatitudes that there would not be somebody in our family, maybe in our church, maybe in our neighborhood, that would not raise their eyebrows a little bit at us, saying, what in the world are they doing? Probably a few snickers. What? Don't you think? If we lived out these Beatitudes, I think they would draw some attention. In fact, we'll talk about that because Jesus talks about a light that can't be hidden right salt we're going to talk about that so today we're going to look at this last one it's unique to be too because it's lengthened out it's three verses so there's elaboration on it again jesus thought it'd be very important to talk a little more about this one again we're again seeing the emphasis how it all leads up to this one if you are practicing these so why are christians persecuted Then we'll talk about how they are and then our response. So why are Christians persecuted? Verse 10 says quite clearly, for righteousness' sake. Righteousness' sake. We've been tracking this theme a little bit, haven't we? Chapter 3, verse 15. Hope you know that verse by now. I've mentioned it quite a few times. Jesus says to John, you've got to baptize me so I can fulfill all righteousness. This must be done, John. I've got to perform this righteousness that will please my Father. Chapter 5, verse 6, one of the Beatitudes. Bless those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We have great zeal, a passion, an earnestness, like we have for food and water. We'll come up to verse 20 here shortly that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the scribes. That's going to be interesting, isn't it? Chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Righteousness is tied to the kingdom of God. Again, most of the time we hear righteousness in church, we hear of that in such that it's what we don't have. We don't have righteousness. And then we link that to our sin and to God's penalty of it. And we know that we have to turn to Christ to get his righteousness that is given to us as a gift and justifies us. So most of the time we think negatively of righteousness, i.e., I don't have it. Positively, Christ has the righteousness. I need that given to me. And this is foundational for understanding righteousness. But it's not the whole message. It's not the whole message. Because of Christ, God's grace, God's work, and God's promises, we must produce righteousness. It never merits salvation, never places God in debt to us. It's never a payment for our sin. Hopefully, you've heard that very clearly. But now in Christ, we have become lovers of righteousness. We love hearing about it. We love hearing others talk about it. We love doing it. We love others seeing doing, seeing them do righteousness. It makes us joyful. People are planting gardens this time of year or vegetable gardens or flower gardens or whatever. So a lot of weeds to take out, cultivate it plant those flowers or vegetables, and watch them grow. And if you are really, really into it, you have great joy when there's very few weeds in there. (laughs) And your flowers are doing well, or the cucumbers are doing well, whatever it might be. I'm not good with this stuff. You take joy in that. So as a Christian, you take great joy in what Christ is doing in you, that there are fewer and fewer weeds of sin And that you are producing a harvest of righteousness. That delights you. And then when you see other brothers and sisters doing that, you take great joy in their righteousness. Because righteousness is an essential attribute of God, therefore, it is an essential attribute of the kingdom. And now it is placed deep in our hearts. And now, hopefully, you love to produce and work righteousness. It's not a hassle. It's not a problem for you in the sense that, oh, I don't really want to do this. No, your heart is being transformed so that you love this. In joy, you received Christ's righteousness, and now because of him, you produce it. Christ in you. Christ being formed in you. The way the Apostle Paul puts it quite often is pleasing the Lord. In fact, this is one of the main ethics that we use as Christians. Will this please the Lord? This would be then righteousness to the Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. We make it our aim to please him. The word aim there, you think of shooting an arrow, don't you? Trying to shoot that target, which is righteousness, pleasing the Lord. And sometimes we miss very poorly, don't we? Beloved righteousness, you run real fast. You grab those arrows and say, let me try again. Let me try again. That's what we have in Christ. Christ is our forgiveness. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we can do what? Just, just simply bask in it and kick back? No. We go running to that and say, let me grab those arrows. I'm going to try again, Jesus. I want to do better this time because I want to please you. I hope that does not sound like works righteousness because it's not. That's Christ's righteousness being formed inside of you, working its way out inside of you. So we're careful not to practice our righteousness before others. Again, that's Matthew chapter 6. Because ultimately, we're just doing it for the Lord. We're trying to please him. What this means is we don't need others to confirm this for us, to know what we are doing. We don't need any accolades. And it doesn't, mean, doesn't matter if a government is looking at us or other people or some other group are looking at us. It doesn't matter. We're doing this for the Lord. Second reason is because of Jesus, verse 11 Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Here we go. On my account. So it was righteousness, and then it was because of Jesus. Those are really connected, aren't they? Because it's through Jesus that we learn all about righteousness. He is the one that teaches us about righteousness. He performs it perfectly for us, so now we can model our lives after him. But now it says very specifically, because of Him. Through His work, we are joined to Him by faith and by the Spirit, and now we want to honor Him. We hold fast to Him by obeying Him and loving Him, and as we just got done singing, to follow Him completely. Jesus died for us. He rose for us. He was exalted for us. He has given His name and His glory to us. And now our responsibility is to make him prominent and preeminent. Colossians 1.18. he Jesus is to be preeminent in all things. The world, by and large, really hates Jesus. We know it from all the persecution going on. You say, why are those people being so mean to those Christians? What did they do? It's not the Christians. <laughs> It really has nothing to do with them. It's all about Jesus. That's why they're being persecuted. Because they're trying to make Jesus prominent in their lives. And they're not being quiet about it. Everyone's telling them, just be quiet about it. Say, no, I'm not going to be quiet about it. Because God's plan and goal is to make Jesus preeminent in everything. That's our goal. So we can't hide him. Can't tackle the corner and say, "Well, I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to make sure that Jesus doesn't go with me today because I've got to be careful." No, He's supposed to be preeminent in everything that we do. So, it's going to be very clear as we think about this persecution: it is for Jesus' sake. It is not really ultimately about <clears throat> human governmental laws or customs. It's not really about those things ultimately. It's not really about just strictly right or wrong. It's much more than that. It's not just about having a good cause. Jesus is so much bigger than that. It is the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who means so much to us, who has given His name and His glory for us to carry. You probably know the story in Acts chapter 5 where the apostles get arrested. Angel Lord comes by and says, uh, "Why don't you come on out? And why don't you go to that temple area and just start preaching Jesus?" So they do, and the temple officials are like, "How'd you get what? Huh? Who was watching that night? Who let those guys get out?" And they're just preaching Jesus. They said, "We told you not to preach that name, Jesus." They don't know what to do about it. They finally decided to let them go after they beat them up what did they do it says acts 5 41 42 that they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus they're just doing what Jesus told them to do right that's all they were doing they're just normal kingdom of heaven citizens just rejoicing in what Jesus told them to do thirdly were persecuted uh, because it's the norm. It's the normal. Verse 12: Rejoice and be glad, for your word is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Remember those prophets, right, in the Old Testament. Whew, boy, not a fun job to have. <laughs> Go and tell kings, priests, other leaders that they had failed to keep God's righteousness. They were poor examples, they were leading poorly, they led the, the nation into idolatry, they lacked fidelity to the Lord, and so they had to point these things out very clearly to these leaders. Again, there were false prophets, that was a nice job. Nice earthly benefits on that one. Kings love to have you around, you got nice posh rooms to sleep in, lots of meals, all kinds of great things. They spoke comforting words of peace, but true prophets told the truth. They told them what God had spoken to them, and so there were warnings. There were calls to repent, and so they were greatly persecuted. And God's own people persecute their own prophets, religious people who didn't really want righteousness, When I typed that, I had to pause for a second. Because not all religious people want righteousness. If you didn't know it today, I'm breaking the news to you. It's very clear. There are many people who are very, very zealous for religion. They just don't want righteousness. Righteousness. That should scare you. That should frighten you. May we not be those. They fear this convicting or condemning righteousness, saying, don't let this religion get to be so extreme. Keep it at a distance. That's too much. There's too much cost for that. So Jesus is now like the prophets of the Old Testament that were persecuted for the Lord's sake. So Jesus says, my people will be persecuted for my sake. That's an implicit claim, Jesus, to being God. Here is reasoning, Old Testament, Lord had his people and they were persecuted. Jesus says, now you're my people and you'll be persecuted for me. Me. The Lord Jesus Christ. Persecution is nothing new. It is just the norm for God's people. Again, we are the small exception. Ignatius in the second century was thrown to lions. Polycarp, who was a disciple of the apostle John, was burned alive. John Huss, 1415, was burned at the stake. William Tyndale was strangled and burned in 1536. Some of you know that name, William Tyndale. He is one of the main reasons in God's providence that you have a Bible in your hands or on your phone. How easy it is for access a phone, and yet William Tyndale literally gave his life so we could be here today reading our Bibles. <laughs> Isn't that just stunning? This is a side note. Study church history. <laughs> Study church history. You will be inflamed in your passion for Christ if you do this. It's amazing. We just we're just coasting on a surfboard here in our country. In the book, Insanity of God, might be able to watch the movie coming up in church here. Again, this man, Nick Ripkin went to listen to stories from Russians who had been greatly persecuted. And as he's listening to stories, again, he's so amazed, saying, how come books have not been written about this stuff? How come movies have not been made? Older pastor takes him aside and says, I hear you've got some sons. He goes, yes, I do. He says, how many times do you wake them up in the morning and bring them to the window that faces the east and say, son, look carefully. The sun is going to come up here in the east. It's going to happen. Get ready. You're going to see the sun come up. Nick says, I've never done that. I'd be crazy because it always comes up in the east. The pastor says, that's why we haven't made books or movies. Persecution is like the sun coming up in the east. It's just the way things are. It's easy to think that uh, it's just you standing up for Jesus alone, maybe just you and your family. You in the midst of your family are the only believer, or you're the only one at work standing up for Jesus. You're not alone. I'm not saying there's others at work or in your family. I'm just saying looking back, you've got generations and generations who've gone before you who've done the exact same thing in faithfulness. I took a class in the seminary on church planning. Never really planned on being a church planner, but I thought I would take the class. Learned all kinds of things. Got all kinds of notes. All the things that you should do in planting a church. And God uses those things. But obviously, obviously in the Scriptures, that the way that God builds His church is through persecution. Remember my story in Iraq? The pastor I met in Baghdad, he was going to put on an evangelism conference. He went to the officials of the government. They said no. He said yes. <laughs> he did it anyway. They gave him some free stay at a jail and prison for many months. He led many people to faith in Christ, and then he became their pastor. I mean, who better become your pastor? That's how he started his church. This has just happened thousands and thousands of times throughout history. Isn't it good to know this? It shocks us a little bit, doesn't it? Say, what I'm doing is not the norm. <laughs> it's not the norm. I'm thankful, Lord, for what I got. But, Lord, help me not to get too comfortable here. So, how are Christians persecuted? Verse 11 says, they may revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil. Interesting here they have the word falsely. That will be like Jesus, right? So these actions that are intended to ridicule and to mock us. First of all, with, with our doctrine. And that has been done throughout the centuries as well. Things like the virgin birth. Christians have been mocked and ridiculed for that. The miracles of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I don't think so. There were other people around who gave some food to Jesus, and that's how he fed them. Walking on the water. There were some stones there. Think about the cross as the means of salvation, God's wrath, Jesus being raised from the dead. People sneered at us for that. But also our conduct and our behavior. Again, we just think about the Beatitudes. If you live these out, you're going to look pretty weak, pretty pathetic to the world. Many people think Christians have no common sense. They're desperate. And they've been duped because they're desperate. Interesting. The passage I read at the beginning, 1 Peter 4, verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Interesting. Jesus saying here, you will be blessed, right? You are in heaven is going to be great one day. Peter here says, You are blessed now. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Here's in the, midst, in the midst of persecution, the Spirit is opening your eyes to God's glory. And God is being given to you as you are being persecuted. Two times you had the word persecute. That's the general term. This is something that even you and I can maybe anticipate. A lot of times we think of persecution with people threatening bodily harm or putting their hands on us or jailing us. But sometimes it's just a condescending look. Maybe from somebody in our families. You went to church again today? You know that look? That's persecution. I mean, it doesn't compare with being burned at the stake. But you know what? Some people don't want to get that look from uncle or aunt. And so they don't speak up. They don't say anything. And you're missing it. Or at work. You know someone might say, talk behind your back. And so instead of being forthright about Jesus, you don't do anything. So be careful. Again, we don't compare ourselves and say that other people have suffered more than us. But even these little things maybe should become more part and parcel of our lives than we realize. But we're just ducking and dodging. Is there any reason you should not be speaking up more in your family or to a friend? Are you afraid of negativity? Are you afraid of being talked about by others? We live in a very dangerous place, not just the United States of America, but the Bible Belt. We are just in a very dangerous place. A certain religious way of life and talk that is very accepted and even encouraged to some degree. Being religious is accepted. It is really the norm. And it's a dangerous thing to be in a religious place because religion feels good, it feels right, but sometimes it begins to take on a life of its own. Cut off, separated from Jesus. Not empowered by Jesus, but more self-propelled. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes... Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. That's what Paul says. Paul says, get away from them. Because they're just monkeying around in religious business. They love going to church. love getting pats on the back. They love singing songs. They love all that stuff. But you look at their lives... There is no desire for godliness or holiness. There's nothing. Get away from them. Cold, lifeless, orderly religion is deathly afraid of Jesus and his righteousness. And there are followers of Jesus that are scared to live out the Beatitudes before others for fear of what people will think of them. Notice again in all these Beatitudes that it's not blessed are those who hear them or profess them, who agree with them or sing about them or memorize them. It's those that become true of them in Jesus. They take these things on through Jesus in their life. They are lived out. They are their life. Lastly, the response to persecution. Persecution. I'm with you on this one. (laughs) Makes me shake my head. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad. All those who are willing to obey and love Jesus all the way up to and through persecution have the kingdom. It is theirs. They get all the blessings of the kingdom now and forever. And because of that, there is no reason to whine or complain or be angry, or be upset, or bitter. sure easy to say that right now for me. You know, we look at people who are going through a tough time in life, and we usually give them more room and more space, don't we? People going through a hard time, they can be a little more irritated, crabby. We say, well, look at what they're going through. We give them justification for it. Jesus won't justify that response and being persecuted. There's no justification to it. Two overlapping commands: rejoice and be glad. Again, it's for emphasis, isn't it? Talk about me like a police officer saying, go, get out. Well, go should just be enough, right? Right, Wayne? Go means go. No, I'm saying go and get out. Jesus saying, rejoice and and be glad. The word rejoice is used in chapter 2, verse 10 of the wise men. When they saw the star, leading them to Jesus, they're like, Wow, amen. Wow, it's awesome. In the Old Testament, this word is used in reference to response to the Lord, to his greatness, to his power, his kingship, his beauty, and his glory. Now it's in reference to being persecuted for him. Be glad. That's a word that means verbal expression, it's speaking, it's singing, but also physical movement. Isn't that interesting? There's something about when you get excited about something, get happy about something that your members start moving, something's got to twitch, something's got to move because you're happy about something. That's how God wired us. Uh, This is just shocking to me. I know we're not in that environment really be persecuted, but does your understanding of Jesus, the kingdom and salvation, can it include this, that it makes sense to you theologically and biblically that we should do these types of things, that Jesus is not just giving a big talk. He's not just speaking with hyperbole. but He's giving commands to his people like all the other commands for our own good for our blessing. That's why he's doing it, for our good. We can see here very obviously that Christianity is not a small thing. It's not something you just pass by lightly, give a little thought to. becomes a little aspect of your weekly life. Jesus is so much glory that he's not only worth suffering for, but he's worth being happy over in your suffering. I mean, we just ratcheted that up a little bit, didn't we? You just crank that baby up a little bit more. You know, when something bad happens to a person, we try to encourage them. We, we really love them. We try and find all kinds of ways to encourage them, right? So if someone gets robbed or burglarized, you say, well, at least you still have your house. At least you still have your family. You know, a loved one dies, you say, well, at least you got your other family with you. Thank the Lord. Or you're going to ask them, well, at least you didn't get hurt more than what you got hurt. You've got to be careful playing that game, don't we, a little bit? have got to be careful of that. We're trying to prop up people with sticks that are going to break. Those sticks are going to break. We're trying to prop them up. They're worldly comforts, aren't we? We're trying to give them worldly comfort, just like other people do. There are comforts that we give to people that are just relativistic. Well, relatively speaking, if you take everything in consideration, you're still doing well. Make sure you parcel this out right and see that you're you're okay. Dangerous thing, isn't it? As Christians, our mindset is to be you can take anything away. You can take my life away. As long as I have Jesus, that's all I need. Now, I know it's 71 degrees in here, and we're all doing well. We're going to have some good food after lunch. We're not used to this kind of mindset, but that's how we got to live. Even when it's 71 degrees and it's not hot and there's nobody threatening to hurt us or kill us, this is the way we've got to think. And this is why it's so hard for us, because everything is so easy for us. Paul says, Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I may gain Christ. You can do that in East Somalia and you can do that in Kinston. Doesn't matter where or when, even right now, you can count all things as loss because of greatness of Christ and knowing him. And you can count them as rubbish and you can gain Christ. It's not just for certain circumstances, certain people that they're going through. It's for us at all time. Just remind you that Jesus is not playing a religious game with us. He's not trying to dress us up in religious garb, giving us religious liturgy to follow. He's dressing us up like him in his beauty and his righteousness. As much as we love to think about that, just means... Just think about that people are going to treat us the same way, though, if Jesus is making us to look like him. There is a certain way of life that you've agreed to follow in in following Jesus. There's certain things you've agreed to. It may not always go well for you. And Jesus wants you to know that right up front. It may not go well for you. Actually, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Because it will go well for you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. I was just talking about this life. That's all I was talking about. Now, Jesus says, get on a higher plane. Get on a different plane. It is going to work out well for you. Who cares what your family members think or your co-workers think or your boss thinks? Who cares? Your reward in heaven is waiting for you, and it is very great. The real world. What is the real world? Beatitudes, in some sense, seem like a false world, like an imaginary world, a fictitious world a lot of people it doesn't seem like how real life works. It may work between the walls of a church but in the real world it doesn't work that way. We live in two worlds, don't we? This what we have here but also we're in some sense in the other world already. One person has said it like this and trying to think about the Beatitudes sometimes for us. It's like cheerleaders. They're cheering for a team. And their team is losing, let's say, 100 to 3. And there's two minutes left in whatever game you want to make up because it's still going to work, okay? It's 100 to 3. And the cheerleaders, in fact, I've seen this to some degree already <laughs> in high school, the cheerleaders are still doing their cheers. Like, we can win the game. We can win the game. And everybody's like, you please be quiet? There's no chance we can win the game. The coach is saying, we can win. We can still win. You're going, "What?" And some people think of it like this, with Jesus saying, go out and do that? And you're telling us that we're going to win? Ah, that doesn't make any sense. This is where faith comes into play, doesn't it? The faith you need to have to live these Beatitudes out, knowing that as you suffer loss here, you actually have a far greater gain in heaven. So, are you going to do well here? Here? I can do well there. That's what it all comes down to. Let's pray. Lord, big big realities we're talking about this morning, things we don't understand very well. Certainly wouldn't helpful to have many Christians across the globe to come and help us think through this better than what I did. Lord, a lot of these things seem far away to us and for that we are in some sense very grateful for that we're not being persecuted like many are but Lord maybe there still should be some more in our lives maybe we're just living a little too casually maybe we're continuing to count up our earthly blessings saying you know relatively speaking everything is pretty good today Lord thank you for Christ who just blows up that formula and no matter what is going on, you are good and you are faithful. Our life is secure. Eternity is guaranteed. And we can absorb many losses in this life. And that's what we're being called to do. Um, all of us here, Lord, would readily admit, though, this morning, we don't, we don't like to suffer those losses. We don't like to be threatened or intimidated or mocked or scorned or put down. We just we don't like it. It hurts us. Lord, I pray, again, that Christ would be formed more in us so we would more gladly and with joy receive that and knowing that we're being counted in union with Christ and all that. What a privilege that is. Lord, we know we've got some distance to go in this. Pray that you will move us forward by your grace in the days ahead. In Christ's name, amen.